We are all in need of counsel, and the world is very happy to provide it. And we receive counseling actually all the time. What's so encouraging about even this morning service, as Pastor Mako has led us thus far as pulpit chair, he's been giving us counsel, encouraging us to trust, to believe, to look, to depend on God's truth. The world is also counseling us. J.C. Penney, for example, and yes, there are still some stores around. J.C. Penney, for example, put out a commercial a handful of years ago trying to get parents and kids to buy their clothing to prepare to go back to school for that first day. As I run through the commercial's lines, pay attention to the way they counsel their target audience. In the opening scene, high school students are filing back into the classroom, school buildings. They're sitting down at their desks. This is the first day of a new school year. And as they, as they do, file in, sit down, open their books, the narrator, a young high school girl, maybe probably a freshman, the high school girl says this, by the way, this is not what school looks like getting to class, studying, opening books. She goes on, the only thing anyone cares about is that first day. Everyone will be styling their faves. Older generation faves means like clothing. And she says, love that, right? So you could, there's counsel already going on. You can imagine all the students uh, that just wanna fit in and have friends, they're thinking, you're right. On that first day, everyone's going to be styling their faves. I need to make a good first impression. I need to fit in on the first day. Then the high school girl continues, but I'll be bringing it every day, not just the first day, every day, because I went to, you guessed it, J.C. Penney. She goes on with great eloquence. They have so much great stuff. Sweet. Anyway, what's your strategy, she asks viewers. It's really a strategic commercial, actually, I think, from the world's perspective, at least. You have the problem, I want to fit in. And you have the solution, J.C. Penney, because they got so much great stuff. And so off to J.C. Penney, the parents go and the students go, trying to solve their fear of man problem with some man-made solutions. We are all being counseled by the world, not just tweens, teens, and their parents. The world is constantly counseling us, whether it be the ads that we hear or watch, offering a sense, just a taste for a moment of prestige that comes from a new Mercedes, that special scent. Maybe relaxation that you deserve and can have through a cruise, a vacation, Maybe what the world is offering you is safety and security in a retirement home or promised excitement that comes from a pill. Maybe even through the songs you hear, the things you listen to, the articles you read, they might even teach you what it looks like to fulfill your own sinful desires and be true to yourself. But from the Christian perspective, all this world stuff is just chatter. That's all it is. It's just chatter. We're being chattered to by in a million different directions, by a million different companies. And amidst all the chatter in the world, it is critical for Christians, you Christian, to learn to discern and then cling to God's wisdom in Christ Jesus through his word. That's our aim in this series, which covers the next seven weeks. The series is entitled Counseling the Word gospel truths for the journey of faith. And through the series, we hope to move ourselves forward towards strengthening our ability to counsel ourselves and others with gospel truths. And for the seven weeks, we're going to look at select Bible truths and apply them to ourselves. And we also learn to counsel not just ourselves, but other people as well. This morning, we began our series looking at what we are to counsel, what we are to counsel, namely the Word of God. And as we turn to our passage this morning, we see why the Word of God is sufficient for all of life. Why the Word of God is sufficient for counseling, but then, of course, all of life in general. Turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're in verses 14 to 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 
to 17. As you turn there, I'll give you some background. In our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul encourages his young son in the faith, young pastor Timothy, to finish well and to continue following after Christ according to his word. Paul was already aged at this time in his mid-60s. He was in jail with execution death hanging over his head. You can read the letter in the afternoon. You'll see that this is the case. And this letter is Paul's last will and testament. And he knows that Timothy would probably come to walk a similar path of suffering as he was a Christian in Ephesus or modern-day Turkey, and he was also serving as the pastor of the church there. So Paul encourages Timothy to continue to remain in Christ and His Word. And as our focus, again, is 14 to 17, let's go ahead and stand and read verses 10 to 17. Let's stand and read verses 10 to 17. I'll go ahead and read that. I'm reading from the ESV. He addresses false teachers and their false teaching, and then he turns to address Timothy. Verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And here's our section. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the reading of God's Word. Please be seated. Paul's exhortation, if you look there in 14 to 17, let me ask you, what exactly drives our passage this morning? Go ahead and look there. What one word drives our entire passage this morning? It's the word continue there in 14. But as for you, as opposed to all of those false teachers, but as for you, Timothy, the Christian, the pastor, you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, as he describes there, the sacred writings. It was a typical way that he could refer, that a Jewish person would refer to the Old Testament. And he had been learned and he had grown up in it. And that's what he wants, Paul wants Timothy to continue in. Verse 14, you have the exhortation, the imperative, continue in, verse 15, the sacred writings. And then in verse 16, all Scripture is what he is to continue in. He's talking about there the Word of God. Just as Timothy was to continue in the Word, so we too are to finish. If we are to finish the race for Christ, we must also continue not just in general good counsel, not just in moralism or being good, not just in knowledge in general or even safety from persecution. He encourages them, him to continue in the Word of God. Paul reveals so much about the sufficiency of the Word of God here in this statement. The sufficiency of the Word of God to save, to secure, to sanctify the Christian. Now, when we speak of the sufficiency of God's Word, what I mean is that the Scriptures contain everything we need for knowledge and salvation in godly living. That's a common way of referring to or describing what the sufficiency of the Word of God is. Let me just repeat that again. The Scriptures contain everything we need, everything we need for knowledge of salvation and godly living. And here's an implication. Therefore, we don't need to seek any new revelation from heaven, as if somehow the Bible were lacking. And in this morning, again, we turn to our passage and then we see why the Word of God is sufficient for 
counseling and then the Christian life in general. Why the word of God is sufficient for counseling and the Christian life in general. Here's reason number one. We got three reasons. Here's new reason number one. It's because of what the word does. It's because of what the word does. The word of God does what you Christian need most. Verse 15, what does it say that it does? It makes us wise unto salvation. And that, friends, is in fact our greatest need. I mean, isn't that fascinating? Paul is in jail awaiting execution. He addresses Timothy, who also knows and is aware of and has followed him in his persecution. Can you imagine all the stresses that would come up in being in that kind of situation? The threats of regular death. Your social circumstances being uh, completely demolished because of this threat of persecution. Ties severed, maybe. Anxiety and worry ramped up. And of course, the church, the church will soon experience this type of persecution as well. But yet, what is it that they need most? They need the Word of God because it grows them up. It makes them wise unto salvation. We too, of course, need to learn to be made wise unto salvation. To know how one can be reconciled to God to actually be saved by him and then to live for him and glorify him and enjoy him forever. As one catechism in the 1600s put it. And God shows us how it is that we can be made wise unto salvation in Christ and his word. Of course, as Christians, we know this. If you're visiting with, with us as a, and you know yourself to be uh, someone who is exploring Christianity, the reason why God needed to step in and provide us with a plan of salvation is because we are all fools in some sense for sin. We're fools for sin, and we have all sinned against God. As Pastor Marco said, we've all rebelled against him. In the beginning, God made everything, us included, to be in a loving relationship with him. Imagine that. There is no sin. It's a perfect relationship. We were to know God's love perfectly, and we were to live underneath God's good and loving rule and his authority. But we wanted to be authorities unto our own selves, and that, friends, is the heart of sin. And so we rejected God and followed our own ways. It was, as if it were, that we built up our own kingdom when there is only one king. There's only one throne in the universe, and that is God's. And so, the th what is the consequence of this? Treason? It is punishable by death. Death in hell, the Bible says. This is where God's word comes into play and God's love. As God reached out to us, what does he do with his word? He reaches out to us after we have gone astray and he directs us. He reveals the way of salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what it means when Paul says that scripture makes us wise for salvation. God himself reaches out to sinners and points us to Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to the Bible here, again, if you're exploring Christianity, when it comes to the Bible, in the Old Testament, God promises to save and restore in the Messiah. And then when it comes to the New Testament, that speaks of God's fulfillment of all of those promises in Jesus Christ, in his person, the God-man, and then in his work. And in God's great love for us, even though when we had rebelled, he sent his eternal son to take on flesh, to live the righteous life we should have but could not, because we're sinful, and he dies the death that we deserve, bearing the wrath that we ourselves deserved. We can't overcome sin and death on our own, so God sends Christ to do it for us. Jesus not only died on the cross for his people, he also rose up from the dead, showing that the death sentence no longer hangs over our heads. And he says, if you're visiting again, if he says, anyone and everyone who repents of their sins and turns to him will be saved, forgiven of their sins, restored to God, your maker, and you, th you then come to know him as loving father the one who helps us in this life, the one that we can depend on and throw our entire lives upon, and we know his peace and his love poured out into our hearts, the Bible says. So the response that God desires is that you, friend, too, repent of your sins and believe on him and you will be saved. Glorious promise. And so through Christ and his word, that is how we are made wise unto salvation. 
Timothy, of course, knew this. He had a, <clears throat> he had a Jewish mother who believed in Christ, and his grandmother believed in Christ. If you read the letter, you'll see this. It was a faith that dwelt first in his grandmother and then in his mom and now dwells in Timothy himself. He grew up being schooled in the sacred writings of the Old Testament. In verses 14 and 15, you look there. This is, again, how he was, acquaint he was acquainted with them. He was learned. And then Paul came, as history goes on to tell, Paul shows him how these, these scriptures were fulfilled in Jesus. And Timothy believed. He too was made wise unto salvation by turning to Christ, the Savior. And then he learned to live for his glory. This all reminds us of Jesus' words in Luke 24, 44. Jesus there says, after he has risen from the dead, he says, appears to his disciples and says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Namely, that he would die on the cross and ra be raised again. And this way of speaking, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, is actually an official way to refer to the entire Old Testament. Now, you might be wondering, and I hope you are wondering, okay, so what about the New Testament Scriptures? Pastor, you haven't mentioned anything about the New Testament. Are they also able to make us wise unto salvation? Are they God's authoritative word? The answer is absolutely yes. Take Paul's writings, for example. I mean, we're looking at one letter from Paul. And uh, this is so fascinating because I, too, have wondered about the reliability of Scripture, the reliability of Scripture, and how it is that this Bible has come to be what it has come to be. It's called canonicity. You're learning uh, the subject matter. It's a subject matter about the canon, how it came to be. Um, and hopefully, those of you who have been wondering about this, I hope and I encourage you guys to actually dive in because there are such good and useful resources about why in the world you should even trust the Bible. Because if we can't trust the Bible, then what in the world are we doing here? And so we as Christians, we stake our lives on the reliability of the Bible as God's authoritative word, a word from heaven to us, divine revelation given from God to us. That, as we're looking at here, makes us wise unto salvation. Thinking about Paul's letter. I want you to turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. Just turn right, and you'll get there relatively quickly. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16 I mean, Peter himself saw Paul's writings as authoritative. In this section, Peter addresses the issue of false teachers who were twisting divine revelation, revelation of God. And I want you to notice, and what I want to highlight here is how Paul describes, sorry, how Peter describes Paul's writings. He says there, 316, Paul, according to the wisdom given him, of God, of course, he wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking of in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand or difficult to understand. Now here's my point, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. The other scriptures. Paul's writings are not just some sort of, uh, you know, letters that we can take it or leave it. No, he, Peter himself puts them on par with the other scriptures, namely the Old Testament. I mean, there's lots of different ways that we can unpack if we had time to see how exactly the New Testament is on par with the Old Testament in terms of God's authoritative word. And again, I hope you guys are able to dive into the subject. If you want recommendations, I got them for you. So when it comes to, again, the stuff that makes us wise unto salvation, the most important stuff of the universe is right here in the word of God. And we do not need to look elsewhere as if Christ and his word were not enough 2 Peter 1.3. Go ahead and turn over there. 2 Peter 1.3. It affirms just how comprehensive God's Word is in touching our lives today. It says, his, by His divine power, He has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. In 1.4, He's talking about His promises recorded in his word. In chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it speaks about in the scriptures. The word of God is sufficient for the Christian life. 
keep in mind here again, it is a comprehensive sufficiency that helps us understand the entire world around us. Do you believe that? I mean, does your life actually show that that is what you believe? That the Scripture actually helps us in a comprehensive sense understand the whole entire world around us. Now, some wrongly think the Word of God helps us understand God's salvation. You know, the spiritual stuff, but it is the world that helps us understand the daily stuff of life, and that's what we should primarily rely on for daily stuff. Spiritual stuff, we primarily rely on the Word. Worldly stuff, we primarily rely on the world. Frankly, I think that's the wrong way to think about it. The Word of God helps us understand ourselves and the entire world around us by helping us understand the world in the way that God sees things. And I really do mean the entire world around us. Now, that doesn't mean that we should expect God's Word to address everything in the world directly and specifically, right? God did not intend to give us, let's say, an encyclopedia or an encyclopedic knowledge of everything in the world, past, present, and future. But, you know, that's not a problem for Christians. That doesn't make this any less authoritative, any less important, any less sufficient. His word actually wasn't given for that purpose. Now, I know some Christians who might get a little discouraged as they go to the word and say, oh, well, God's word obviously has nothing to do with my addiction to social media, for example. So it is insufficient. That's the wrong way to think about it. God didn't intend the word to do that. That's like going to the phone book and being so discouraged that I can't find any poetry in here. It doesn't make sense. God didn't intend for the scriptures to be like that. And that's okay. God does what he does. He reveals his truth according to the way that he desires to reveal it. So he doesn't exactly present us case law for today in every single aspect of uh, our lives in that kind of way. But the fact that God gave us the word to help us understand ourselves and the world around us in a comprehensive sense, that indeed is true, and therefore it should compel us to go to the Word to see what God has to say about all of life live under Him, whether it is specifically addressed, like being addicted to much wine or addiction, He does mention it, or whether it's addressed by implication or biblical truth, like I am addicted to social media, for example, or whatever have you. So you got to keep in mind, this is a comprehensive sufficiency. And if we don't realize just how sufficient the Word of God is, we're going to end up with a mindset that says, the Word is actually deficient for daily matters. Again, for spiritual matters, I'm going to go to the church and the Word, but for daily matters, I turn to secular disciplines, and therefore I need to go to, to places outside of Scripture to find ultimate solutions to my ultimate problems. Ultimate solutions to ultimate problems. And we need to stay away from that type of thinking. To some, this is where the secular disciplines seem attractive, where they seek to diagnose, catalog, and treat people's problems. But this type of thinking misunderstands the sufficiency of Scripture. Again, the sufficiency of Scripture is a sufficiency of God's words that help us understand the entire world around us. And through the Bible, God has given us divine words, right? Divine words from heaven that function as kind of like heavenly reality goggles that help us understand the world according to God's perspective. And this is, friends, completely different than the approach taken in secular counseling. Secular counseling, that is counseling that is limited to the non-religious offers diagnosis, treatment, counsel of people's problems from a worldview where God does not exist. Where human beings are not God's beloved creation. Where we do not live in relationship with God underneath His law, underneath His righteousness, where we don't live for the glory of God and the enjoyment of God. So while, let me be clear here, so while secular counseling can still be useful, please hear me, secular counseling, it can be still useful, but just like, or it can be still useful just like getting into politics 
where maybe somehow it's made difficult for you to bring in your worldview as a Christian or law underneath the same categories or underneath the medical field or for me as I used to be a personal trainer, doing those things can still be useful. But as Christians, we have to acknowledge that those methods are finally insufficient. They simply do not intend to address the most important stuff of the universe, namely what it looks like to live in relationship with God in Christ and under him. Let me give you a, a brief example here. You know, as a personal trainer, people would come to me and I would come to, to, and people would come to me having eating disorders regularly. And I would try and help them. Now, if they said, look, Jeremy, this is what I want you to help me achieve. I am five foot nine and I want you to help me achieve an 85 pound body. Well, I'm gonna come to that request with a certain worldview. And my worldview is not you do what you want to do. And I'm guessing as a doctor, you probably couldn't do that either. As a counselor, you probably couldn't do that. If somebody came to you saying, look, I am living and now I want you to assist me to die in this very quick method by prescribing me certain pills so I can go ahead and die. No, there's actually some sort of ethics and some sort of morals that you bring to bear as you counsel, as you give advice, which is great. As a Christian though, as people come to us, we gotta bring our worldview to bear in those types of conversations where possible. Again, I'm not saying this, that secular counseling in general is always bad, absolutely not. It can still be useful, just like all those other fields, politics, law, medical, profession, etc. But we gotta acknowledge that those things at the end of the day, or if you think about it, what's the foundation? It's ultimately insufficient. As Christians, we, as we counsel one another here, we need to counsel each other and give our words of encouragement and present a worldview where man is always in respect to God. Always. We speak, you speak to me, and I'm directing you to God. I'm directing you to God. Or as I speak to you, if you seek counsel or give advice just in the course of regular relationship, which is what counseling really is, I am representing God to you. That's, that's how Christian counsel is to, is to function. It is giving counsel, addressing man with respect to God as opposed to simply man with respect to himself. You see how that at the end of the day or foundationally is insufficient. Counseling where we give advice or address man with respect to himself only that just doesn't work. I mean, functionally, you see how that is, that's like speaking as if there is no God or, or presenting man as if they are finally autonomous. And there's so many different examples that can illustrate a little bit of what this is like at the end of the day. That'd be like you coming to me wanting counsel on California traffic law. And I respond and give you counsel without respect to the existence of the CHP and the laws. Like, don't pay me to do that. Or you hire a babysitter. And then the babysitter goes on to counsel a kid without respect to their parents, as if they don't exist. Or how about a doctor counseling a five-year-old child, a 10-year-old child, while disregarding the parent's existence? You can imagine that situation turning up at the counselor's office. You hear, you know, the best way for me to help you is to give you counsel as if your parents don't exist, as if they don't have anything to say about the matter. You got no relationship with them. They actually have no wisdom. Now let me tell you what I think the answers to your problems are. Man always in respect to himself only. You've just stepped not only into a different office, you've stepped into an entirely different reality, haven't you? Now sure, let's go on to say, let's, go, let's say I go to see a counselor for anxiety, and the counselor teaches me how to breathe properly so I can lower my blood pressure, how to think calming thoughts, teaches me that I should journal to out my feelings and therefore grow in self-awareness. That can be very useful, super useful. But at the end of the day, when death knocks on all of our doors, when God comes to judge finally, 
or when I'm dealing with a real sense of guilt for something that I had done in the past and no amount of journaling will get rid of that. When you experience that shame that goes all the way down into your bones, that no amount of be true to yourself can do away with that. When you're hounded by your own desires internally and you know that something is wrong, having groups out there to tell you that the desires of your carnal heart are right? We gotta go to the word for these things. And that's why the counsel of the world, while it may be useful, it also, keep in mind, might be teaching us how to satisfy our own sinful desires by being true to ourselves. If a, go- if a goal of non-religious counseling is to erase God and my dependence upon him, how will any diagnosis and treatment ever be sufficient? Again, I'm not saying useful for the present, but perhaps but definitely sufficient. Again, we gotta remember that there is no other reality of man other than man in relation to his God. Always man in relation to his God. And our fundamental problem and all the other problems that stem from it is a worship problem. In our sin, we reject God. We do not give glory to God. We do not thank God. If we were made, just think about it, if we were made to be in relationship with him and to worship him and know him perfectly without sin, and then we rebel from God himself, but yet we were designed to worship. That means those worship desires are still there. It's going to latch onto something. Whether it be a worship of physical idols or a worship of ourselves. And as God sent Christ to restore our relationship with him, so Christians, this is exciting, have been charged by our Christ with this ministry of reconciliation, right? Not just man to man, man with respect to man. It's man with respect to God. So again, if you're visiting with us and you're in these secular fields, let me be clear. I and other Christians can still appreciate your work as you spend your life doing your research, diagnosing, counseling, and treating. I personally love listening to podcasts by neuroscientists, for example. It's me and Ron were talking about it the other day. I like listening to researchers and professors talk about all sorts of topics to help people with all sorts of problems. And recently, I've been listening to podcasts on the usefulness, for example, of cold and heat exposure, which I've, t- been, I've spoken about in the past. I, I do research on exercise, listening to these podcasts by scientists, and fasting, and all those things, and then how it relates to depression, or cellular regeneration, or balancing your body's hormones, and then on and on and on. I read books and articles, and I hope you do too, from Christians and non-Christian doctors. And regularly, there is information there that is super useful. And to the degree that they are useful, we can thank God for that. We call this, as Christians, God's common grace. By God's common grace, he allows everybody on the planet, no matter what God they may believe in, to produce useful things here on earth. He's given Christians and non-Christians the knowledge, the ability, and the drive to treat these issues along with physiological issues, psychological issues. And friends, that is a good thing. That is a good thing. As a Christian though, I'm just gonna wanna go further, deeper, because we need to get to the heart of the matter and the only way we can do this as Christians is according to the word of God, where we are given these heavenly reality goggles where we always see things from the perspective of man in relation to God and God in relation to his creation and his people. After all, he is the source of this word, right? Divine words, that's what I've been talking about. This brings us to reason number two, which believe me, two and three are much shorter than number one, so don't worry. Why is it that the word of God is sufficient for all of life? Counseling, of course, being one aspect. It's because of where the word comes from. It comes from God. It is, verse 15, breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. The Greek word is actually God breathed, stuck together and created one new word. It is God breathed. And it's supposed to make us hearken back to Genesis chapter one. And then everything else in the Bible that God does with his powerful, authoritative, sufficient word. All things were brought into existence by God speaking the breath of God in creation. He speaks and things come into being. 
So it is with scripture. It is of God. He's talking about origin. He's talking about source. Since it is from God, it carries with it authority, power, as we heard from Dave Caspear as he read Ezekiel chapter 37. It comes with it trustworthiness as well. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. You can go ahead and turn there. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. It says there that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how we came to get the Word. Certainly personalities were used, so we get to learn a little bit about Paul's personality, Peter's personality, etc., but here, what's how, how the Word is produced is because God, according to His Spirit, carries men along and produces the Word. And so therefore, it is trustworthy and reliable. And we come to know God's loving Lordship through His Word. So let's just back up, let's say, from a 20,000-foot view and understand, well, okay, I understand that there's information in here, but now let's just think about the Word coming to us. Think about wedding vows, for example. We're going to try and understand God's loving lordship here as he brings us his word. Think about wedding vows, right? We're going to soon hear perhaps some wedding vows coming up in the fall of a certain couple eagerly awaiting marriage. I know that there's two other couples who are awaiting marriage eagerly, and that'll take place next year here in this church. What is revealed and what happens in the giving of those vows and promises? I mean, why is it that we all just instinctually want to be there? First, in giving and undertaking the vows, the husband and wife's love for each other is displayed and revealed. I, Jeremy, take you, Melanie, to be my wedded wife. That, 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 that right there is a display, a revelation of God's, of my love for Melanie in my words, Right? And then as Melanie says, I, Melanie, take you, Jeremy, my wedded husband, that's a display and revelation of her love to me, and we all look, and maybe we tear. Second, the man and woman, the, husband, the soon-to-be husband and wife actually enter into covenant with each other. They actually enter into a covenant with each other. They bind themselves to the other. And we think, yes, that is so encouraging. Sacrificial love all the way till death do us part. I take you to be my wedded wife, Wedded husband till death do us part. And third, their word not just declares present love, because we know that could be fleeting, but it presents us, declares a future love and commitment till the end of life. Beautiful. The same with God's love, similar to God's words, actually. First, God reveals his loving lordship as the God of the covenant. Now you remember, you remember how Mako set up Ezekiel chapter 37? He sets it up saying, we all were like sin, or we all had sinned, like Israel. He prayed about the same, just as Israel, so we. We have all gone astray. God had every right as creator and king to do whatever he wanted, to bring judgment immediately if he wanted, if he so choose, chose, because he is righteous and just in all of his ways. But what does he do? He says, I'm going to deliver you. Yes, you have earned for yourselves this punishment for this treason, but I'm going to deliver you. It's all by his grace and his love. The very fact that we have the word, now of course think Jesus and then also think scripture, the fact that Christ came is evidence of God's love and divine initiation towards us, right? The fact that we have the word, that we possess the word, that God in his grace has spoken to us and given us life by his word in Jesus Christ is evidence of God's grace to us. It reveals his love to the end of the universe. In Christ coming to us, and then as as his word speaks to him, we are reminded that he, the sovereign one, has chosen to draw near to us by his grace, his love, his mercy, his compassion. Just think about Abraham, for example. He was a pagan man in a pagan land, and yet Yahweh says, you, I'm going to use you, and I'm going to do all that with you. 
Think of us. Think of Christ. The fact that Christ enters into our situation is evidence of God's love. Second, through his word, God actually establishes a covenant with his people. The fact that there are those of Abraham, those of faith, and those who do not have faith, right? Those who do have faith, God enters into covenant with his people. And he makes a promise. Even though you were wayward, this is what I'm going to do to you. I, just as Dave read earlier, will put my spirit inside of you. And God says through Ezekiel, and I will remember your sins no more. Though your sins were like scarlet, they will be made white as snow. And God fulfills this in Christ. That's promise, then you have fulfillment. That's covenant. Third, third, through God's word, he places claims on his people. He enters into relationship with them. Think of the commandments to the church to be holy as we are holy. And now we, by God's grace, represent Christ as his people. So in counseling, in counseling, what we're trying to do is just point people to the Lord. Point people to this Lord who has revealed himself in Christ according to his love, who establishes his covenant with all of his people who repent of their sins and believe on him. And then he makes claims saying, even though you can't do it, I'm gonna do it for you and you're gonna be my beautiful people by my Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. By beauty, I certainly do not mean looks. I mean moral, moral perfection, the righteousness that is of God, the holiness that is of God. We come to reflect that a little bit more and more, never perfectly here on this earth, but a little bit more and more by the Holy Spirit. It's a pretty straightforward task, and frankly, guys, I feel it freeing and exciting. I take great confidence in this, and, so, and I hope you, that you do too as you have your relationships with one another, thinking of counseling. I find this freeing because the most important stuff of life is right here in the Word of God. It addresses, again, the most foundational, the most primary things of life, salvation in Jesus, and then how to live for Him and glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. And because we have the Bible as it is addressed right here, we don't need to freak out thinking that the answers are finally outside of ourselves. I mean, just think about how stressful that would be. If the true answer, the most foundational answer were always outside, we would be completely lost. I find it exciting too because we have a wonderful opportunity, friends, for you, for us all to think hard and think biblically about how we apply these truths, take God's truth, and then apply it to all of life. So you doctors, you lawyers, you counselors, you personal trainers, or whatever it is that you do, you, we all have the opportunity to take the Word of God and then figure out how is it that we apply it to all of our fields. And if our employers put certain limits on what we can do, I mean, we can still serve them faithfully and honor God in that way. They're paying you to do a certain thing. But when what they require you to do goes against your conscience, well, then we can pray. We gotta think well about how it is that we can in fact continue to do the things that we do. And we pray that God will give us wisdom. It's exciting because how we apply these truths in our lives actually displays the glory of God. And we're commanded in all of our seasons and all of our circumstances to take the truth and apply it. And this brings us to the third reason why the word is sufficient for all of life. The third reason why the word is sufficient for all of life because of what the word is useful for. Because of what the word is useful for. It is useful for doctrine and life. Doctrine and life. Look there at verses 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That, purpose statement, intended consequence, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This list can be broken down into two. Think doctrine and life. Doctrine and life. Scripture is profitable or simply useful. That's what it means. For teaching the right stuff. Sin has caused our minds even to think poorly. According to Romans chapter 1, there are effects of the fall on our minds. So Scripture helps us think rightly. And to walk in right doctrine or know right doctrine is also useful for reproof, for correcting bad doctrine. And in Scripture, we are supposed to correct bad doctrine. And then when it comes to life, as we think about categories of life, we see that God's Word is profitable for correction. That's correcting sinful living. 
So here we got to understand why God intended us to walk in certain ways, which is very fun to think about too. And then also for, for training in righteousness. Positively, it's how we are to walk to, in a way that honors God. And Paul writes so clearly, right? After talking about the nature of Scripture, God breathed, and then its uses, what it's profitable for, he then goes on to give the goal and the purpose, friends, which is so comprehensive. It is that, look there, that the man of God all Christians may be complete or capable or proficient, equipped for every good work that God has given us to do. God gives us his word, which teaches us about the most important stuff of life, doctrine, life, so that in every single one of your seasons and every circumstance, you, friend, are ready to honor Jesus Christ. The central stuff of glorifying and enjoying Christ should bleed into every single area, every aspect of our lives, in every season and in every circumstance. That's comprehensive sufficiency that should drive us to search the word and then apply it to our lives and our fellow members' lives. Pastor, professor, author Kevin DeYoung, he put it this way. If we learn to read the Bible down into our hearts, and then across, across God's story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation, and out to the end of the story where Christ reigns and rules and we are all submitted and love him, and to, we read the Bible to the glory of God in the face of Christ, we will find that every bit of the Bible is profitable for us. So friends, as we study the word, the goal is to know Christ more and know what he desires of us in every season and in every circumstance. And when it comes to counseling one another, the goal is to help others know the same. And friends, these opportunities for counsel, it's not just when you officially come to see a pastor for a short period of time. We're talking about regular relationship. So just think about the relationships that you guys have here. Are you known for counseling the word man in respect to God, God in respect to man? That's where counseling, the vast majority of counseling is to happen in just regular relationship and regular friendship when people can be open and honest with one another, where others speak, feel freely to speak into each other's lives, addressing them, encouraging them with the word, helping them look to Jesus, even rebuking them as the case requires, and to do it all as ambassadors of God with a ministry of reconciliation on behalf of the Lord. We are all representatives of Christ. All of us are ambassadors of Christ with this ministry of reconciliation. I did a membership interview of a gal who was wanting to join the church, a young adult. And this is how she says she became a Christian. She simply was afraid of death. She goes to her mom, and the mom points her to Jesus. And the mom doesn't even remember doing this. That's the regular course of life, regular relationship. And the daughter trusts in Jesus. All because that mom was speaking of girl in relation to God. God in relation to girl. The mom holds out Christ to her. And the gal believes. God willing, we would all be found to be faithful ambassadors and counselors holding out the message of the king, ministering with the methods of the king, and doing so in the character of the king. The message, God's truth. He is the one we point them to. He is the king. Ministering with the methods of the king. That is relying on his word, relying on prayer and his spirit to give life to dead bones. And then we are to minister in the character of the king. Displaying Christ, representing Christ's love and his holiness. As he, as he desires all to turn from their sins and be saved. To conclude, in Christ and his word, we have the only solution for our greatest need. And so God's word makes us wise for salvation. It is sufficient for all of life because of what it does, makes us wise to salvation. Because of who it comes from, God the one and only king. And because it is useful for doctrine and life, frankly, every situation, every season. That's why we have reason for confidence and why we can be equipped for every good work. You, Christian, equipped for every good work, no matter the season, no matter the circumstance, and for the entire journey of faith 
till we see Christ face to face. Now we pray that God would give us wisdom in how to speak the word of truth in love. I mean, don't be confused with this. I'm not suggesting that in, our, in the course of conversation, let's say I'm sitting down with a friend at jujitsu. He asks me, he tells me about a problem, which this has really happened, about his depression and the issues that he's going through and his temptations to suicide, suicidal thoughts. I may not in wisdom say, let me tell you what the gospel is, right? I might want to come to know him more. I wanna, I'm, I'm going to want to love him more. I'm going to want to make sure that there is trust established there. And I'm going to want to minister gospel truth. I'm also going to want to give him practical solutions as well that will get him till tomorrow. But I would do so never in a way that would show that the gospel is not sufficient for all of life. May God give us wisdom. May God give us hearts and a desire to speak gospel truths to one another in this journey of faith. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you for your word. And we recognize that it is evidence that you love us. That you desire to be with us. And as your word is powerful and actually accomplishes what you intend it to do, we know too that that is evidence of your God's love as you have caused us to be born again through your word. God, we pray that you would help us never take our eyes off of Jesus and even in all the seemingly mundane situations, making breakfast for the kids, sitting in the cubicle, talk chatting with friends or coworkers, or even when one of our friends comes to, to us with some discouragement. God, we pray that you would help us give them counsel and push them underneath your loving rule and help them come to understand that it is you who desires first and foremost reconciliation and that you have established this for all who repent of their sins and turn to Jesus. God, we pray as well that we would take this word and you would help us apply it to all that we do in life. No matter what profession we are, give us wisdom as we seek to do this. And may we do so in a winsome manner. Make us a church that loves one another by speaking your truth to one another. In your name we pray, amen.